Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Uh, Such good truth that it can be well with us, that we can be in right relationship, the relationship we were made for with God because of his grace, uh, because of his peace. So good. Uh, It is good for a uh, leader or teacher to be uh, as clear as is necessary, as clear as possible, uh, setting clear goals, clear instructions. We we all know this. Uh, If we uh, went to a school, we remember teachers who could give us a clear idea of what we were trying to accomplish and give good instructions. Uh, those were generally ones that we felt like their class was doable. Uh, and, and the ones where it was a tangled mess and, and, and you showed up for the test and it was totally different things than what you thought was going to be on it. And that, that was always far more stressful. Uh, if we grew up with parents who were involved in our lives, uh, then we know that uh, clear instructions, clear goals, these things were helpful for understanding what our parents wanted, what we want to do. Uh, it's something that uh, I and, and we as a church are always trying to uh, get better at. It's something that with Jesus, sometimes uh, he told stories that I kind of want to go, really, like, cool story. If you could have just given me the real clear bottom line, that would help me out a lot. There are other times when Jesus was just very clear. Uh, and particularly, it's helpful for uh, a leader or teacher to give really clear instructions if those are the last instructions they have to give you. Right. So at the end of Jesus' life, uh, he gave some very clear instructions. And we're going to look at the instructions as recorded by a guy named Matthew, who wrote a gospel, a story. Uh, it's the story of Jesus' uh, life on earth and ministry from Matthew's perspective. Matthew was one of his closest followers, one of his disciples, one of his students. Um, and uh, he wrote an account of Jesus' life after his death and resurrection. And Matthew records some last words, some last instructions of Jesus. So Jesus, by this point in Matthew's account, has died, has been raised from the dead, which is miraculous and amazing enough. Uh, And then he's got these last words for his followers before he ascends into heaven, uh, where he is still alive today. So Matthew records it this way. The The last three verses of Matthew's gospel in chapter 28, he says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, In uh, church language, we we call this the, the great commission, the great sending out. He's saying, look, I I have all uh, power and authority in heaven and on earth, and I will empower you to go. And as you go, I am going to be with you always. And it's this really crazy kind of over-the-top promise. Like, you're, you're going away, and yet you're going to be with us always. You're going to empower us in the ministry you're sending us out to do. He says, yep, so go. And... 
And I think sometimes we can take these instructions and say, well, okay, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. So this is for the really holy spiritual people. Or this is for the missionaries. This is for the people who, have to, who, are, who are called to go overseas. Uh, they're, they're probably holier and more spiritual than me anyway. And, and they're told uh, to go. So this is for them. Uh, but Jesus was talking to all of his followers this is his clear direction to all of his followers. And so if you are, are here, if you're listening to this online, you say, yes, I'm a Christian. I belong to Jesus. I'm following him with my life. This instruction is for us. A missionary may be called to go overseas, but we are called to go into our culture, to go across the street, across the table, across the political aisle, to go across town to a job or a restaurant. We're, we're called to go. It's a clear instruction for, for all of us. We, we've been talking about the basics of church, the basics of belonging to Jesus. What, what does it mean for us as individuals and us collectively to belong to Jesus and live out a life that is uh, following him, that, that shows that we belong to him? What does, it, what does it mean to be a people gathered under the banner of Jesus? And so it's things like, we, we talk about the Great Commission, there's the Great Commandment, right? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself, right? I mean, these kind of basic things of what it means to be part of Jesus's household, to be part of his family, to be belonging to him. We've been talking about knowing God, that we have this invitation into relationship to know God personally, not just know about God, not just know some interesting facts or be able to quote some uh, Bible verses or a theologian or two, but to actually know God. We're invited into relationship to get to know his heart, to get to know his motivation, to get to know what breaks his heart, to get to know what gives him joy. We're, we're invited to know God. And as we know God and uh, we allow that relationship to impact us, he molds us and shapes us. We are shaped by our experiences with him and experiences with others. And we grow in our character. And we want to see Jesus as our example of that character, of what it means to be the image of God in this world. And so we grow in our Christ-like character and we go and bless the people around us that God has blessed us to be able to be a blessing to those around us inside our church for sure in this community and also for sure in the world around us in Calais County and the community we encounter every day. We get to know God. We get to grow in Christ-like character. We get to go be a blessing to others. This is part of what it means at its most basic level to belong to Jesus individually and as a group. And I believe from reading through the New Testament that the church was originally intended to be a collection of people from all these different backgrounds, these different upbringings, different races, different political persuasions who came together, not under those banners, but under the banner of Christ. And so we are going to love God and trust God together. We're going to sacrifice for other people, those who believe like we do and those who don't. And we are going to take opportunity to tell other people about the hope that we have found in Jesus. This is the church, a collection of people from different backgrounds who look and sound and act differently sometimes, who come together and say, okay, we're gonna love and trust God together. We're gonna sacrifice for each other. We're gonna tell other people the hope that we have found in Jesus, the hope that they can find in Jesus. Jesus. 
And as the church progressed through the centuries, the church became more and more of an institution, an ever uh, increasing in size organization and institution. And for much of the Western world, for many small towns and big cities, church became the center of the town, the center of city. It's, it's where people gathered, not just on Sunday morning, but it's where uh, town meetings happened. It's where protests occurred. It's where all the major life events, weddings, funerals, birthdays, everything in between, it all happened. We all gathered at, at the church. And there is something to an ever-growing institution or ever-growing organization because a large organization, whether that's a a church of 100 people or a church of 10,000 people or a large business organization or a large volunteer organization, a large organization really can create an impact and have an impact on a community that one family or one individual just can't. Even when we think of individuals, and we can think of some, who have had outsized impacts on the community, the world around them, they had a large group of people that they had organized in some way behind them. And so there's value to a large organization having an impact. But there's been some cultural shifting that has happened, and not just in the last two years, but really if we go back 60 years, There's been some significant cultural shifts in how we feel about institutions. Uh, There is a generation, so I'm told, that said, never trust anybody over 30. And that generation is now (laughs) 70-ish. And the kids they raised on MTV learned that expression equals truth and young equals cool and authority was a problem. And the generation they raised, and I do mean past tense because we're at the point where the kids raised on MTV have now raised their own kids and they are entering the workforce. That generation was raised in an internet era where they learned that authority and institution was antithetical, was the opposite of, was against what they wanted to do. It was against innovation. It, It hindered growth. It hindered positive change that institution and authority just got in the way. Being an institution, being an organization, being a church does not give us status at this point. We can't just walk into a neighborhood and say, hey, we're from the church, and have people go, oh, well, that's awesome. We're so glad you're here. Even on the positive side of things, organizations can create impact, can create change, can meet needs. Institutions and organizations cannot love. I hope that our church, as in those of us as people, will love those around us, but an organization shows up and can meet a need or create an impact. But an organization is a thing, it it cannot love. And especially in this day and age where if we show up and say, hey, we're from the church, that isn't exactly met with open arms. We've reached a point where in our generations from 70 on down, if you're expecting the church to love your neighbor for you, you're going to be disappointed. We cannot love your neighbor for you. It's not what an organization can do. 
Love is something that we as people, as individual followers of Jesus are called to do. And if you're willing to reach out and love your neighbor to the best of your ability, I really believe that we are going to watch God make an eternal impact in us and through us in our community. And I say that knowing that these cultural shifts have also made it more difficult for us as individual Christians to engage the world around us. That as institution is no longer trusted, as our culture has shifted in a way that church feels like it's being pushed out to the margins, and I really think that's not just something we're feeling, I think it's happening. Institutions are not to be trusted, remember? So the church is an institution. And for sure, uh, people 45 and under have grown up hearing story after story after story of how the church has hurt people, how the church has abused and covered it up. People are very suspicious of the church. Again, we show up, I talked last week about just saying that I'm a pastor shuts down conversations. We show up and say, hey, we're the church. And people go, and what do you want? And and what are you after? People have had so many encounters with church people where they're treated like a project and not like people, where there's clearly an agenda in mind that they go, actually, I don't trust that you're here for my good. You might be here for your good, but I don't know that I trust that you're here for mine. And so to engage in these conversations where 75 years ago, we could have, well, certainly not everybody was a Christian, we could generally assume that everybody had either been raised in church or raised with some sort of Christian-esque worldview. That wasn't universally true, but it was true for the vast majority of our culture. At at this point, in Cowles County, the numbers show that at least 50%, some numbers say as much as two out of every three people is not religiously affiliated at all. We are generations and generations into people not being raised in church to show up and quote a Bible verse and say, see, here's what the Bible says, you should believe this, is simply not something that people are receptive to at this point for a huge swath of our culture. And showing up and saying, well, I'm, I'm with the, the Bible-quoting people. Like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the church. I'm here to help. People are very suspicious. So we live in a culture at this point, and this is not to be doom and gloom. I'm just trying to name what I'm, I'm seeing, and I think a lot of us are feeling going on around us. Institutions in general are being pushed out to the side and the church among them. There's been enough stories of church hurt that people are sort of shoving it off to the margins. Christians are a minority, uh, certainly practicing Christians are a minority in our culture at this point. And when those practicing Christians show up to try to help, there is suspicion from those we're trying to help. The good news is we know people who have been operating in those kind of cultures in a far more extreme sense than even what we're facing today who have been operating in cultures, trying to love people in the name of Jesus, where the church is marginalized and off to the side, where Christians are the minority, where Christians show up and they're seen uh, and taken in with a lot of suspicion. And they've been engaging in these cultures for a long time. And that would be our missionaries. Whether in Europe or Asia or Africa, 
our missionaries, our international workers have been going into cultures where the church is by far the minority, where Christians showing up at best are seen with suspicion and at worst are seen with the other end of a gun. Where showing up and saying, hi, I'd like to tell you about Jesus can literally be a life and death situation. Far more extreme than anything we're facing. And yet, as our culture shifts, and we want to kind of make some excuses, like, well, sure, like back when, you know, the church was the center and we were respected and things were so much better then, and if it was like that now, then I would tell people about Jesus. We know people who've been engaging in this type of culture, again, to a far more extreme level for a long time. And so it begs the question for me, what can we learn from those people? What can we learn from our missionaries and international workers about how to engage in our culture as we see it shifting? What can we learn from them about how to love people in the name of Jesus, engage for Jesus in a culture where that isn't welcome? I think they have a lot to teach us. And so I want to introduce a phrase this morning and we'll break it down and you'll hear more about this phrase in the coming weeks and hopefully even beyond. That phrase is missionary mindset. We wanna talk about a missionary mindset. So let's define this, this phrase. We'll, we'll start with mindset, okay? A mindset is a set of beliefs that shape your perspective and purpose. A mindset is a set of beliefs. A mindset about anything is a set of beliefs that shape your perspective and purpose. So what you believe about yourself and the world that influences how you think and feel and behave in any given situation. And we all have different mindsets towards uh, politics, different mindsets toward a big city or a small town, okay? A set of beliefs that shape your perspective and purpose. Okay, more on that in just a moment. Let's define the missionary part, or maybe let's just expand our definition of missionary for just a second, because I don't know about you, but for me, with all of the missionaries that I have had the pleasure of getting to know uh, over the last 10 years or so, when I hear the word missionary, the first image that pops into my mind is still Dr. Livingston in his funny hat, like slashing through the jungle, trying to get to people on the other side of it to tell them about Jesus. And I don't know why that's still true. But if that is still true in your head as well, I just want to remind us of the missionaries that we have gotten a chance to know. For a dozen years or so now, we've had a partnership with international workers in Bosnia and Herzegovina. These are business owners and poets and artists and seminary teachers. Anna Milligan has come through here many times. Uh, in, in the last number of years, telling us about the a coffee shop that she uh, runs and manages. Uh, we had somebody come through here a number of years ago now, the Mathises. A couple came through to, to tell us about what they were up to. They had taken their veterinarian practice in the Tacoma area, I believe, and had sort of picked it up and moved it over to Cambodia, and we're doing it over there. And yes, that's clearly a lot more complicated than that, but that, that's basically what they were doing. They said, well, we're veterinarians here. We can go be veterinarians there, and that's where God is, is calling us to be. Now, I don't know that we have any veterinarians in our church family, but, but we have business owners 
and we have coffee shop employees and managers, and we have teachers. Uh, quick side note, I, I think the rest of us probably could learn a lot from our public school teachers of what it's like to go engage in a culture that is not their own, where they're not really allowed to talk about Jesus and still love people in the name of Jesus. Uh, I think we can learn a lot. We, we are doing these regular everyday jobs that the international workers are doing in the places that they're called to go. And we're called to go here. Either way, living everyday lives, using their gifts and talents on purpose for Jesus and the culture they're in, we, we can do that. We can live our everyday lives using the gifts and talents and opportunities we've been given in our culture on purpose for Jesus. Now, I am uh, not an international uh, missionary. I never have been. Um, and so I am uh, going to talk this morning about things as I know them, things that I have gleaned from those who have done this um, and what this missionary mindset, I think, is about. But we also want to give you a chance to hear from people who have this mindset, who live this mindset on a regular basis. Uh, and we're going to start doing that uh, next weekend. Uh, so just a quick a detour here to talk about next weekend because I'm really excited about uh, uh, things going on next weekend. It's gonna start Friday night. We're going to be in here for a missions live stream event. Uh, this is hosted by our national office in Ohio. And I know I just got done talking about institutions and nobody trusts them anymore. Now I'm talking about national offices. But in our national office, is going to be sharing stories and videos of things that God is doing around the world that I know are going to be an encouragement and blessing to us. You can watch this from home. You do not have to gather here, uh, but it would be so awesome to be in here and be in awe of the work that God is doing around the world uh, together. So if you can be here Friday night at 6.30, uh, I think that will be quite the blessing to enjoy that together. Saturday night, uh, we're gonna have a Saturday night gathering that gathering is going to uh, sing some uh, worship songs together uh, like we just did. And then they're gonna break out into game night, board games. So uh, worship and game night next Saturday night because next Sunday morning, we are going to have a live Zoom conversation with somebody who has this missionary mindset. Uh, JJ came through here a, a number of years, I think like six years ago now. Um, and uh, she and her husband and her family were headed to a country uh, that uh, we call a creative access country, which is our nice way of saying the people who go here may get killed uh, because it, Christianity is just that uh, illegal uh, where, where they were headed. We, we couldn't even say the name of the country they were headed to. It is my understanding that at some point in the last few years, they were found out and had to come back to the States. Uh, while they were there, uh, JJ was a, a stay-at-home mom, I believe. Her husband was an English teacher. Again, doing their everyday jobs, crafting and creating relationships uh, with people so that they could have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. She knows about this missionary mindset and what it takes to take your whole family, uh, including your kids, to a creative access place and love people in the name of Jesus. Uh, but she's also been back here for a couple years and knows kind of the changes and tumult that we've been going through uh, and can talk to us about that too. So I am so excited for us to get to talk to uh, her 
That will be live uh, Sunday morning. Um, so please, uh, online or in person, check that out. It should be a great conversation. And as I said, I'm gonna share some things today uh, that I, I believe help us capture some of the min- missionary mindset. If JJ says things next week that contradict what I say, we're just gonna go with her, okay? Because she actually knows what she's talking about. Uh, but in the meantime, some things uh, that missionary mindset uh, means from uh, my understanding. And I, I want to... I go to the words of uh, a, another missionary to kind of start us off here. And this is from Paul, who uh, we talked about last week as a church planter. And uh, so he started new churches all over the area, and then he'd write letters to these churches. And these letters are collected and make up much of the New Testament in Scripture. And he describes his missionary mindset uh, in a letter to the church in Corinth. So this is 1 Corinthians, about halfway through the New Testament. Uh, and we are going to be in chapter nine, chapter nine, verse 19. Paul writes, even though I'm a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles, which just means people who aren't Jewish, when I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So I run with purpose in every step. And part of the missionary mindset is finding purpose in the work. We find purpose in the work we're called to do, intentionally choosing to see purpose in what's going on around us, to see purpose in the work, the lives, the relationships, the service that we're engaging in, that there is a sense of meaning to the work. Barna is an organization that does research and studies and interviews in America, of America, from kind of a Christian perspective, also does some research on the church. And they did a study recently talking about purpose and and meaning. And they interviewed thousands of people. And in their interview, they found one out of every 10 people they would term as being purpose-oriented in their work. One out of every 10 people is purpose-oriented in their work, which their definition means that they approach work with a sense of meaning and feel that they're created for a meaningful purpose. Okay, so there is some sense that I approach my work, whatever it may be, uh, at home, retired, 
my Monday through Friday job, my swing shift, whatever. I approach that with some sense of purpose, with a sense of meaning in it. And I feel like I'm here for a meaningful purpose. One out of every 10 people. And we could say, well, but my job is just blah. Well, sure, for a missionary, that makes sense. But like, my job is just, ah, and fill in the blank. You know, we talked about how our international workers are just coffee shop employees, just business owners. We actually, a number of years ago now, supported a project in Kosovo that was being headed up by a Kosovar Christian, and it was a recycling plant. He doesn't have a lot of education he, he came to Jesus late and he just wants to bless his community and tell people about Jesus and he does that through a recycling plant. I mean, the Callitz County equivalent would be working at waste management. It's just a job. But he sees purpose in the work. He believes God has him there for a reason, that there is meaning to what he's doing, not just to bless his community, but to have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. The meaning isn't in the job, it's in the purpose of the job. That same Barna study found that four out of every five adults, four out of every five adults, 80%, agrees that the ultimate goal in life is happiness. The ultimate goal in life is happiness. Four out of every five adults. And as I mentioned, Barna studies culture as a whole, but also the church specifically. And so some of their questions were, uh, you know, are you a practicing Christian? And I don't know exactly how they define that, but they kind of come to that definition. And and so they decided to look at the practicing Christians and how uh, the practicing Christians affect that that number. And and, uh, their hope was to see it, you know, come down. So the way they set up this question is, uh, set up all their questions, is they would say, I'm going to read you a statement And I would like you to say, strongly agree, somewhat agree, somewhat disagree, or strongly disagree. Okay, so strongly agree, somewhat agree, somewhat disagree, strongly disagree. Four out of every five people said, either I strongly agree or I somewhat agree that the ultimate goal in life is happiness. So they break it down to just the practicing Christians and found that the practicing Christians were actually more likely to strongly agree that the ultimate goal in life is happiness. And that's problematic for a couple of reasons. One, because happiness is entirely circumstantial. Happiness is just based on, do I feel good about the things going on around me? Do I like my job? Do I like my coworkers? Do I like where I live? Do I like my family? And if I'm not happy, then something has to change. Not because my purpose has changed or there's a different meaning to my life, or because uh, I, I feel called to, but because I need to do something different so I can be happy. That's the goal. I'm gonna have to change jobs. Or I'm gonna have to change towns. Or I'm gonna have to change families. I'm gonna have to do something, leave something behind so that I can be happier. Also, if for, for the Jesus follower, if happiness is the ultimate goal in life, Uh, Jesus did it wrong. 
His life was not geared toward how can he make himself happier. His life was geared toward the purpose and meaning he had in his life. Now, even from a worldly perspective, so if if you're listening to this and you are not a a Jesus person, Jesus follower, uh, the Barna study found that Christian or not, people who said that they were purpose-oriented in their work were far more likely to be satisfied with their work and life than those who said the goal was happiness. So if you wanna be satisfied in your life, have that sense of like, oh, Okay, I'm okay here. Looking at purpose is a great way to do that instead of the ever-elusive happiness. For the Christian, for the Jesus follower, we are uh, made on purpose for a purpose. You are called here. You are called to Callis County. Now, side note, if you're not, if you're sitting here and we're talking about calling and missionary mindset and those kind of things, and and God's somehow knocking on the back of your head or the door of your heart or whatever analogy you wanna use and saying, actually, you're called somewhere else, my, get out, get out. (laughs) We we love you, but go away. (laughs) Like if you're called somewhere else, by all means, we wanna pray for you and bless you and send you wherever that is. But if you're here, you're called here. You and I are called on purpose, with meaning, to be part of this community, be part of Callis County, to love and bless the people here and to share with them the hope of Christ. And that goal is not happiness. The the missionary mindset chooses to see purpose in the work and do the work for a greater purpose. And this means a few different things. Paul talks about having discipline in his training. Talks about being like an athlete who disciplines themselves. And if you've ever heard an athlete talk about their workout to their practice, the word you'll hear come up a lot is sacrifice. That that's the sacrifice, the time and the effort that they put in so that they can accomplish their purpose, which is hopefully winning games. For some of them, it's making millions of dollars. Whatever they've decided that purpose is, they're going to sacrifice in the The times that nobody's watching, that nobody sees, they're gonna put in the work so that they can accomplish their purpose. Part of the missionary mindset is that sacrifice is just assumed. Sacrifice is assumed in the missionary mindset. When you pick up your life and move around the world, you assume sacrifice is just part of the deal. You're sacrificing comfort, you're sacrificing time with your family or extended family, you are maybe even sacrificing your safety. It's just part of the deal. Now, if you're one of the 80% of Americans for whom happiness is the ultimate goal, sacrifice then is to be avoided at all costs because sacrifice is not geared ever toward making you happy. That's why it's sacrifice, right? If it, if it just made you feel great, it wouldn't be much of a sacrifice. If you're pursuing the ever-elusive American dream, then sacrifice is only something you do until you don't have to anymore. Work is something you do only until you don't have to anymore. I'm gonna put in the time until I can get time off. I'll work Monday through Friday so that I don't have to have any responsibilities on the weekend. The goal of the American dream 
is to put in your labor, your work, your sacrifice, to put some purpose into things so that you can get to the point where you don't have to do that anymore. You can hit the golf course. That's how our culture is wired. We're not geared towards sacrifice. Or if we are, we're geared toward it to being very temporary. I'll put in the work until I can be comfortable and not have to pursue the purpose anymore. And in the missionary mindset, the purpose is always there because the kingdom of God is always at work. Jesus always has a call on our lives. There is something for us to do, some beauty for us to create, some message to share, some hope and grace to share with the people around us. Purpose is always there. And so they look at their lives and they say, okay, I want to intentionally live this out. I, I want to intentionally live my meaning. I want my life to intentionally have some purpose. And the calendar becomes a huge part of how you're living out that purpose. If you think about a missionary who's on the other side of the world, financially supported by those who love them back home, they know why they're there. They know what they're there for. Their intention and their purpose is clear. And so I think they ask questions like, am I going to use my time today for my purpose? Or at the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the month, did I use my time and my energies and my efforts to accomplish the purposes God has for me? So will I or did I use my time well? Will I or did I use my time well? This is a question we can all ask. At the beginning of a day, at the beginning of a week, we can say, okay, as I look ahead, how am I going to live out my purpose this week? Now, that may be really easy for you because whatever that work time is, you're like, I'm, I'm living out my purpose. And I see ways, and I seem to be intentional about it, that when I'm at work, I'm not just there to punch the clock, but I have a purpose for being there. God has meaning for me to put into this time. But we ask at the outset, how am I going to, will I use my time on purpose for my purpose? And then in the evening or at the end of the week or at the end of the month, did I use my time for my purpose today, this week, in this time? Did I make meaningful choices? Did I do what God is asking me to do? And Paul talks about engaging with other people on purpose. Uh, he describes what they call in, in church and missions circles, contextualization. So it's understanding the culture you're engaging with and, and engaging with it then on purpose to meet the needs that they have to communicate love and care in the ways that communicate it to them. So he talks about with Jewish culture, he engaged with it one way. And with a Gentile, non-Jewish culture, he engaged with it a different way. And this isn't like he showed up and he said, hey, whatever y'all do for fun, I am doing that. Like you just tell me where the party is and I will show you how to party. He said, look, I, I don't have to obey all of this and I, I, I don't have to uh, follow all of the rules of this group to meet this group. I'm obeying the law of Christ, right? In my Christ-like character, I'm engaging with the people around me and I am finding opportunities to communicate love and care to them 
in the way that they will receive it. His engagement with culture was determined by what they needed, not by his superiority, not by I have all the answers, but what do you need and how can I show love to you so that he could deliver his message. In other words, Paul is saying that relationships and connections really matter. Relationships and connections matter. And every missionary knows this. It's what they do. Again, when we hear from our partners, when Anna comes through or Petula or, or Laura come through from Bosnia, we, we hear folks come through and they're talking about the relationships they're building. And sometimes that's really long, slow work because people, it turns out, are people. And you have to treat them like people and love them like people and relationships uh, as anybody who has been in any form of relationship knows, takes time and patience. And so sometimes those stories are, hey, I was here two years ago and I told you about this person and, um, and I think they're starting to trust me. And that's really good. And it's great. We celebrate that. Uh, sometimes we hear stories where they come through and they say, hey, I built a relationship with this person over nine months and just before I left, I got to tell them about Jesus and they said yes to Jesus and they're trying to figure out how to belong to Jesus now too. And we go, yes, that's so good. These relationships and connections matter. Sometimes if our purpose is in the wrong place, if, if our purpose is happiness, if our goal is to feel better, then relationships simply become a tool to our own happiness or a tool, a person just becomes a stepping stone for us to rise up in the organization and accomplish whatever it is we've set out to accomplish. But when we're talking about a missionary mindset where Jesus has called us to go, where we're here, called to be here on purpose, for purpose, relationships and connections matter so that we can earn the opportunity to tell them the story we have to tell them, to tell them about the hope we have in Jesus. Uh, there are two pastors in the Chicago area, uh, brothers, Dave and John Ferguson, who were frustrated by their own uh, evangelism efforts, which is just the fancy church word for sharing the story of Jesus. They were frustrated with their evangelism efforts. And so they did what we should all do. And they went, okay, I've heard lots of teaching on this. I'm going to go back and study Jesus. <laughs> and what did Jesus do? And from studying Jesus, they came up with five things that they felt like Jesus did really well and they wanted to emulate. Um, and they came up with a little acrostic or acronym uh, for these five things. Um, and this acrostic spells bless. And you're gonna be hearing more about this uh, in the next uh, few weeks. Um, in fact, uh, we have a class coming up on uh, October 19th. There's a book study that we're going to do. So uh, I would recommend just getting this book, even if you don't wanna join us for the book study. Uh, but I think you would get a lot out of uh, getting this book, joining us for uh, the book study on Tuesday nights. There will be a Zoom option. There will also be um, an option downstairs um, and you can sign up for that on our website. If you can afford the book, awesome. If you can't, um, then sign up and say, you know, I'd really love a free copy from the church and we will get you one because uh, we really um, believe that, that this could help you and us engage our culture. So here's, here's the acrostic um, for bless. And I guess two things before I give you this. One, uh, they stretched it to meet this acrostic, right? Let's just admit that up front. They stretched some things, it, but it works. 
It works. Um, and, and two, I know the word bless is an overused word, like hashtag bless. Like I get it, overused. But um, I think it's just a helpful way for us to remember here are five priorities of Jesus as he engaged with the world around him that we can follow as well. So I'm gonna run through them real quick. And again, we will talk more about this in the coming weeks. You'll hear more about it later. Uh, so bless, B is begin with prayer. Because I know some of you are not gonna be okay with not writing this down. B is begin with prayer. Uh, see, I told you, they stretched it, but they could have just gone prayer, but then it'd be plus, and that would be weird. So begin with prayer. Uh, listen, L is for listen. Uh, Jesus did a lot of asking questions and listening to people. E is for eat, my favorite one. I like this one. I can eat. I'm going to eat with people. Um, it's a lot easier to eat with people in a non-COVID time, but we can eat with people. Um, Jesus ate with people and built relationships with them uh, over that. S is for serve. We serve other people and meet their needs. And the second S is for story. You share your story, your story of what Jesus has done in your life, the story of what Jesus has done, what God has done through Christ for the people you're building relationships with because of his love uh, for them. So again, you'll be hearing more about that coming up. So here's the question for all of us to answer. Uh, and I would say all of us to answer this week, except it may take more than a week to answer this. But this is a, a crucial question for all of us to answer, what is your everyday purpose? What is your everyday purpose? And some of you know right away, because some of you are living into it and that is awesome. Some of you are going, I have no idea. Take some time and figure this out. Because again, even if you're not a Jesus follower, if you can answer this question of what is your everyday purpose, you will be more satisfied in your life and work. And I personally believe that God's gonna teach you some things through answering this question. If you are a Jesus follower, this is our call. And that call is clear. What is your everyday purpose? Because you are called here. You're called here to live a life of meaning and purpose, to glorify God, to bless your community, to tell others of the hope you have in Jesus. This is our clear call. Therefore, Jesus says, go, go. So as the worship team comes back up, let me pray for our going this week. Father God, thank you, thank you, go with us. Thank you that you do not send us out on our own, but that you promise to be with us. And that is a miracle that I think I take for granted some days. Thank you that you empower us with all the authority of heaven and on earth has been given to you, you send us out. Thank you that you have a call on our lives, that there is a purpose for us being here, that we are not wandering around on this rock, aimlessly doing whatever aims for our happiness, but that we actually have a purpose and a meaning for our lives. And that that purpose and meaning can line up with how you made us to be, can line up with your uh, power and your presence, the peace you have for us. And then we get to share those things with the people around us that we can actually bless and benefit the people around us by introducing them to you and your love for them. So thank you for your love, for your presence, for your sending out, for your empowerment. Thank you for the purpose that you've given each and every one of us. God, would you help us to see that, that purpose? And where we are struggling to know what to do, would you give us your peace as we're figuring it out? And when we know what to do, 
God, would you give us your courage to step into that, especially in situations. God, I'm, I'm sure that some of us are wrestling with this going, okay, I actually know what my purpose is. I'm just not sure I wanna do it. God, would you give us the courage to step into it, knowing that you are with us always. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.